it. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Hot Mess Teaching Show. As you know, I am your host, Danielle Alana. I am thrilled right now to be doing this series, Voices of the Pandemic. If you have been around, you'll be familiar with it, but I'm so excited to have a teacher from the upstate of South Carolina with us today. So we are going to be going in and talking about some of the things that are happening in classrooms in South Carolina specifically, and I am absolutely um, so thrilled and excited to have this conversation. So in just a few moments, she'll be coming on. She'll be introducing herself and telling us a little bit about what made her go into education, just giving us a little bit of backstory. And then we're going to be talking about some specific things um, related to pandemic teaching. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to have this conversation as well. We have actually talked a lot um, through Instagram and then off Instagram as well about a lot of this stuff. And um, I love that we were actually recently having a conversation and you were like, you should totally come on my show and have this conversation. So I really hope that people are ready because um, it definitely, as you have stated on Instagram and on your podcast as well, it has been a crazy 18 months. And so I'm really um, excited to just be able to dialogue with somebody else about this in a safe space. I think that is so important, creating that safe space where we are going to be able to express ourselves because it seems like educators are constantly being silenced. We talked about that earlier in our conversation. So having that safe space so we can talk. So tell us a little bit about how you got into education. How long have you been an educator? Tell us a little bit about that. So I've been teaching for 10 years. This is my 10th year, um, which I cannot believe because I have actually tried to leave the teaching profession a couple of times in that 10-year period, um, once during year six or seven, and again, um, right before this year, actually, right after the, after the pandemic, I applied for a position that um, unfortunately I did not get, but, you know, I've, I feel like at this point it's you know, all in God's timing, and I'm supposed to be where I'm supposed to be, um, but that doesn't make it easier by any means. So I got into education because here in South Carolina, there is a high school course that's a recruitment effort called Teacher Cadets, and they target like the top, I want to say 10% of high school seniors, and they market it as like a leadership opportunity. And so um, I remember I never had any interest in teaching, and I do come from a family of educators, like my parents are educators at the college level, and then my grandparents were um, middle and high school educators um, on my dad's side, and so it wasn't an unfamiliar profession to me, but I never had any interest in it, like I did not grow up teaching my stuffed animals or anything like that, so um, anyway, I took this course because I was like, sure, leadership. Um, you know, developing leadership, that sounds great. It'll look great on my college transcript. And when I would do different projects and different model lessons and stuff for my class, my instructor was always so complimentary and was like, you just really have this natural gift. And so at that point, to be honest, I was really desperate for, um, you know, what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I was a senior in high school and I had like no idea what I wanted to major in. I had some ideas in my mind. They were like, I think communications was one idea. And that just sounded way too broad for me. And I wanted something that seemed like a sure thing. 
And when I got into this course and found out that I had a lot of the natural like underpinnings to be a decent teacher, I was like, oh, okay, I could do this. And so I kind of almost fell into it that way. Like I fell in love later, you know, it's almost kind of like, yeah, I absolutely absolutely can relate to that. It wasn't just boom. Like, like you said, I wasn't teaching my stuffed animals either. It definitely sounds like you fell into it, but that's still an amazing way to become an educator because I know that you have impacted so many in those in in the last 10 years and you know even thinking about your experience in college you know we can't just like say that's nothing you've been in it for a while so um kudos to you so let's talk about um last year and this year you know um last year let's let's jump it off at March maybe March 2020 it's it's been so long I'm just (laughs) my brain is like yeah yeah so okay oh my gosh yes so much to say there so um like everyone I was stunned and shocked um you know by the time things shut down we had grown to expect it but we honestly really thought it was only going to be a couple of weeks maybe a month at the longest And to be real, me and my coworkers were like, we would love two weeks, you know, to teach from home and like get ourselves together. It was like the thick of that spring semester where spring break is still weeks and weeks away and you haven't had a break since like MLK holiday in January. So we were kind of like, yeah, let's get a couple of weeks off. And then as time drew on, you know, there were things that I think we realized we had taken for granted, things that we missed. And, um, you know, but we made it work. And I feel like as best as I could, I made it work during um, e-learning. I tried to make the um, lessons and the materials as accessible to families as possible. Like I had a little template where I had different activities and assignments linked. um, And I had recorded little how-to videos and things like that to try to make it really easy for the kids. And I got a lot of great feedback on that. That's actually something I ended up carrying over into the school year during that 2020-2021 school year because I knew that we'd have a lot of kids in and out, Um, you know, due to quarantine and COVID and everything else. So, yeah, I I will say summer of last year. So made it through the spring, you know, fine. Summer of last year, though, I started getting really, really anxious because I knew that reopening plans were coming. And I already had a feeling that it was gonna be a hot mess um, because I just know how, what my experience has been and how little people, I think society and leaders think of teachers in general. And it's because teachers, we always make it work, right? Like we're underfunded, we don't have enough money. Like we make it work, we bend over backwards and we make it happen because we care about the kids and we care about what we do. However, because we do that, we also teach people that we don't require more. And so knowing all of that, I just knew that reopening was gonna be a hot mess. And so I started communicating with one of the heads of my um, district's HR department, asking about safety protocols and what if these different things happen? What kind of mitigation measures are in place? Are we equipped with um, you know, guidance counselors for students and teachers to process the trauma? What happens if you know, there's a staff member or a student who gets seriously ill and dies from COVID? Are we 
you know, I'm, I'm asking all these serious kinds of questions. questions that need to be asked. Yes, exactly. And it was interesting because in my conversation, like he was kind of helpful, but then I remember forwarding those same questions to the superintendent of my district because I'm in a smaller district where um, you have a little more access to upper level leadership. And he was just like, those questions are all hypothetical and we can't answer those and nobody else in this office can either. And it was just like, very disconcerting because it's like these are not hypothetical questions y'all are asking me to come back five days a week face to face like that was we did you know the kids had the option to be virtual and there were certain teachers as deemed you know sort of eligible by the district um that could teach virtually um and i actually submitted uh doctor's paperwork to be virtual and i was denied yeah, I heard about that, like people mm-hmm. being denied left and right. And it's like, you have a doctor's excuse right here. Like, what is the issue? So I can't believe also the response of just saying, oh, those are hypothetical situations. Yep. No, those are really things that could happen and probably did happen. All right. So let's um, speed up a little bit. We are moving into the new school year. Um, right now we're at, uh, well, we've been in for like a, almost one month. So how are you feeling August, July leading up to it? Did you have the optimism and then tell me like what it, what it's looking like now, if you could paint the picture for us. I can't say that I've been optimistic. I'm just going to be really, really honest with you. Um, I actually really struggled going into the school year because um, my district released their calendar for this current school year and our summer was two weeks shorter than it usually is. Normally we have eight weeks and this year we had six. So at the end of school, I knew like from the last day of school until I have to report back is exactly six weeks. And it just didn't feel, even looking at it on a calendar, it did not feel long enough. Do you know and, why they made the decision to shorten? Cause that's, that's you know, it's wild right, that it was shortened. Right. Well, I'm not sure because at, our district didn't adopt a new calendar, but the calendar that they implemented, instead of us getting out like the first or second week of June, we get out like Memorial Day. Um, so it's, I guess, a week to a week and a half earlier than we would have normally gotten now. And so from what I've heard, from what I understand, because I've not gotten a clear answer, but from what I understand, that's why our summer was shorter because they decided that this would be the year when they would end the school year earlier. And so because of that, we had a shorter summer. And so basically, um, from what I understand, by next summer, we'll have that same eight weeks, um, but we'll be starting earlier and ending earlier. And so basically there was a sacrifice that had to be made this first summer. Hopefully, um, but again, an example of decisions being made and the teachers aren't, right. don't, don't have a seat at the table to make them because you guys are yeah. the ones impacted by it. Okay, so I appreciate you being real and saying you did not, you didn't have that optimism um, mm-hmm. because of the shortened summer. And I completely understand that you wouldn't if you know that, hey, in just a few weeks, we're back into this thing full swing and we don't know what it's going to look like. So take us on what, 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 what kind of transpired between then and now. Yeah. So my principal expressed that like the last day of school, as a matter of fact, we were having like our little faculty end of year meeting or end of year luncheon. And he made the statement that he wishes there was no summer and that we could just get into it right away because he was so excited for us to have a normal school year. So he's very much like 
boots on the ground, we're full speed ahead. As a matter of fact, he has said that over the intercom several times this year. Like a mouth is on the floor. I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, we're we're boots on the ground, back to normal. Like, yes, we've got a lot of kids who are quarantined. Yes, we've got um, you know, some issues that we're dealing with because right now school is a revolving door for schools who are full-time face-to-face that have very, very minimal COVID protocols. Mind you, we started the school year with no COVID protocols. And because of all of the kids being quarantined, okay, now they're asking us to pay more attention to distance. Kids aren't eating in the cafeteria. And there are some other, you know, mitigation efforts like that. Tell us, um, so it was recently that they began to put the mitigation uh, strategies in place. Um, I noticed that in Georgia too, when they started with nothing, then all the children started to get sick and then they had to jump in and try to do something, which made me upset because it's like, wait a minute, didn't we do pandemic teaching last year? Why didn't you front load some of this? Like, why didn't you have a plan before? Okay. Right. Yeah. So, all right. So they started putting in the mitigation strategy. So Mm -hmm. tell us more about that or, or. So it's very, I mean, they're, they're very minimal because we're at full capacity class size wise. So there's not really a lot you can do in terms of social distancing. Um, So they're asking us to try as best we can to get the desks three feet apart. But I'm also in a very old school. My school was built in the early 60s. And so it's the classrooms are smaller than like your standard, you know, classroom that was built, I don't know, in the 90s or, you know, present. So um, that's a struggle. And then other mitigation efforts, I think on buses now, students are required to wear masks. Um, and then that's, that's pretty much it. There, there are no like hard and fast systems in place, uh, in terms of mitigation efforts. And recently the school board of the district that I teach in had an emergency meeting to discuss the possibility of masking. And a lot of parents from the community showed up and they were very angry because they believe that masking their children is child abuse. And, you know, they're making all of these threats and things to the district about what they won't do and what the district can't make them do. Um, so that's, that's how that's going. So what was the results from the meeting? Did they say we're going to mandate masks or did they err on the side of the parents? Um, well, they've erred on the side of, so right now the South Carolina, um, Supreme Court is trying to decide, you know, if, um, the governor can uphold, you know, the, the bill that was signed that says that masks cannot be mandated. And so what I, what I understand is that the superintendent is leaning towards implementing a mask mandate if the South Carolina Supreme Court leaves it up to the decision of the district or if the South Carolina Supreme Court mandates that all schools must require masks. But until then, it's staying the way it is, which is that there is no requirement. Wow, 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 wow. I think it's just like the fact that this has been so politicized. It's like, why are we playing politics with people's lives? Right. Like right, that's, exactly. that's how, we, that's how I feel about it. Oh my gosh. It just makes me mad. It just makes me mad. Honestly, thinking about it. Cause you hear the headlines about teachers passing away and things like that. And then we have superintendents playing around, but all right. I don't right. want to go on an, on a tangent, but I do want to ask you, okay, with everything going on, have you seen like a reduced workload or are ex- expectations right. the same business as usual? Tell me, tell me more about that side of things. Oh man. I think the expectations, not even, I think, I know the expectations are, are increased, right? Like last year there were, I mean, at the very least in like emails and things like that, you know, it would say 
you know, let's give grace, let's give grace, let's be understanding, let's be understanding. Although there were many times last year where I felt like that whole notion of giving grace and compassion was in words only, and I didn't necessarily see that reflected in actions. However, this year, it's that, like I said earlier, this whole like, you know, my principles are like boots on the ground, we are back to normal. So the expectations are normal. In fact, um, my principal has decided this year to really have a hardcore focus on some standardized test scores um, to, you know, make our students grow and achieve. And um, the word is, is that um, test scores may be being posted um, around the school um, as uh, like a, as a way for teachers to see what other teachers in the building may be doing so that you can go and talk to that teacher and be more successful. And apparently in the schools he's worked in in the past, that's been a thing. And he's surprised that like our school hasn't done it. So that's, you know, for me, I'm never going to teach to a test. I never have taught to a test. But um, it seems like things are trending in that direction on top of, you know, the idea of like, like right now I have one of my classes, more than half of the students are out, like are absent and have been for more than a week. And yet there is this focus on standardized testing. So if that tells you where we are. Yeah. And that, first of all, I want to say I have never heard of that in my whole life, posting it around the uh, school like that's bad. That's really, really bad. I thought it was bad when they would send out the email with the teacher's name on it with the, with the test scores. But, oh, I'm going to put this outside of your door. And not to mention that I, I correct me if I'm wrong. These test scores are from the previous school year when the children were in a pandemic. Is that is that true or is that false? No, that's de that's definitely true. And from what I understand, yeah, um, actually, that that's completely true because the I didn't even think about it that way, Danielle. The um, the scores, yeah, that will be posted are scores from last year, which was 2020, mind you. The kids who took standardized tests this past spring have not standardized tested since two years ago because yeah. standardized yeah. testing was suspended mm -hmm. in 2020. So they hadn't taken standardized tests since 2019. It's 2021 now. So yeah, it's insane because there's no continuity there. I think that there's just a complete and total disregard for the fact that the kids were in the midst of a pandemic and how all of those that trauma impacts learning. Absolutely. So much trauma, so much for them to unpack, as well as you know, dealing with the political, the political, how political masking is, your classmates are out, you're trying to stay safe. It's just so many different layers to this that I think that, you know, we, we can't unpack it all, but we can discuss certain aspects of it. It's just, it's so hard to wrap my mind around the hyper focus of testing right now so yeah. yeah that does paint a good picture for where you guys are at and I hate that I hate that the principal is is putting his focus in the wrong place because that's clear that's completely clear um what are you doing though um I would almost debut as the self-care queen like what are you doing to like <laughs> take care of yourself um yeah. what is that looking like for you in these days like anything that we can recommend or strategies that might help another teacher who might be listening because I know that this is a heavy mental weight like we can't mm -hmm. we can't go around it 
Yeah, absolutely. So there's a couple of things. Number one is because I knew that I was already going into the school year with a pessimistic attitude, like I kind of talked about earlier, like, okay, I need, I need some systems in place, like in my life to help me. And one of the things that I struggle with in general with teaching is decision fatigue and just, you know, making regular decisions, what to have for dinner, what to put in my grocery cart, what to wear. And so um, I put some systems in place to help with that. So I have like a wardrobe app where I have most of my clothes, like pictures of most of my clothes where I can like pre-pick out outfits. Um, so that I'm not standing in my closet in the morning, already exhausting myself mentally, because I'm one of those people, I don't know about y'all, but I'm one of those people where I will stand there and be like, I don't even know what to do. I don't have anything to wear. And so that just, and honestly, I don't use the app every day, but it helps me to, you know, be able to scroll through it, like in my free time and say, oh, okay, these are some possibilities for things I can wear this week. Um, It's the same thing with meals. So I make a meal calendar And so like for the month of September, I already know what all the dinners are going to be. And then I have my lunches planned for each week as well. So again, it takes a lot of the guesswork out of things. That's Um, so, so that's so helpful. I just want to interject and say, especially with the dinners, first of all, with the outfits, you are like on a whole, a whole nother fashion level. I just want (laughs) to say like amazing. Um, But also one thing you pointed out and we'll get back to what you're doing to help mentally, but the decision fatigue, I wonder if that has happened to me or occurred just from teaching, you know, all the decisions that we have to make every single day and the mental load of carrying that for years and years and years. Is that why I'm so fatigued when making decisions? Because it can be something simple. I can be in the grocery store and I'm like, which one do I get? Which one? And it's like, it's not that deep. Why are you struggling like this? I have, I have literally rolled the car back and forth across the grocery store like because I picked this up and now I'm not even gonna have this whole meal anymore I'm gonna go back across the grocery store or even like even it was this bad when I would be at home on Instacart shopping for my grocery pickup or delivery and I'm trying sitting there trying to think okay what do I need to order this week and my brain is like completely fried and it's a task that I just cannot even make myself do like it was that bad but with my meal calendar I can now just look and say okay so like I did this earlier today okay so on Monday we're having chicken and pasta on Wednesday we're having you know homemade pizza and then on Friday we're having something else and so with just being able to see those meals I know exactly what I need to put in my car and it makes it this really easy seamless routine so yes the decision fatigue is real that's amazing all right so you're doing the outfits you're doing the meal planning are you doing anything else to kind of help you to you know keep yourself afloat you know yes okay so I think that so I think so that's one thing that's made a huge difference and the second thing that I think has made the the biggest difference is I asked myself okay how can how can I slash what behaviors can I implement what habits can I implement that will give me the best chance to um, have a great day. So I was like, okay, would it be a morning, afternoon, or nighttime routine? And I decided that I think that um, doing something specific, something habitual in the morning would really, really help me. And so I wanted it to be simple because I have tried morning routines before, but they have failed because I was, to be honest, I was overly ambitious. And so I was like, you know, I need to pick two things. And so one thing that I chose was um, gratitude. So when I wake up, 
I spend five minutes um, in my gratitude journal. And my gratitude journal, again, it has prompts, so I don't even really have to think about what to write down. And what I love is that the prompts are a little bit different every day, and they challenge me to think about gratitude in a new way. Like one of the prompts might be, um, tell about a person who um, makes your life better by just being in it. Like it just makes you think about gratitude in ways that you wouldn't before. And then the second thing I do is like, I'll do a five minute meditation or I might spend that time in prayer. It just really depends on what I'm feeling in that day. And that's literally just my time to be quiet and to focus my mind in more of like, I won't say that I'm setting my mind in a positive mindset. Like some days that happens and some days I'm just a little bit in my own way. But at the very least, I want to start my day with an open, clear mindset. So even though I may not be starting the day like a positive poly, I'm also not starting the day like a negative Nancy. I try to just like have a sense of like equilibrium so that I'm ready to take on anything the day gives me, whether it's something amazing or whether it gives me, you know, something rough. I love that balance that you talked about there. Like you're not being toxic positivity, but you're starting out unrushed, unhurried. All righty. So we are going to now wrap it up. Let's talk about your final thoughts. What do you want the world to know? What do we need them to hear as it relates to what we're going through this pandemic teaching? Well, first of all, I think we need to recognize that we are still in a pandemic. And even once the sort of worst of the pandemic passes and it seems like a little more of a memory and we've gotten some distance, things will never be the way that they were. And I think we have to move past this desperation for normalcy because I think we all want um, and crave what is familiar. But I think if we stop looking at what used to be and we look at what can be, we'll be in um, a different mindset. I think personally and professionally. And I think with education, which is a profession that is um, this teaching profession for, for K-12 educators specifically is at a crossroads. And I think we have to stop looking forward instead of looking back. Look, you just said a, a mouthful there because <laughs> um, there were so many people who said last year during 2020 and even this year during 2021, let's get back to normal. Mm-hmm. But Um, what we need to realize, and you've brought it out beautifully, there is no normal to go back to. So it's time for us to re-envision, re-imagine, and do something to fix this broken system because it teachers teachers are drowning in it. You know, it's 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 crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So I will just go ahead and and wrap up here and just thank you for agreeing to be with me to come on to this podcast. It is a great honor. I always, always, always love chatting with you and talking with you. So I'm so appreciative. I'm so appreciative that you came on. So I thank you for that. And we will be in touch off the internet, but thank you so much for coming on and doing this podcast. Um, 
episode with me. Um, just for y'all who are listening, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. Give me a review. I appreciate you so much. Um, depending on where you are, I don't know if you need to subscribe or uh, give me four stars or how exactly it works, but we are going to be releasing these episodes every Monday, Voices of the Pandemic. We're going to be hearing from teachers, so go ahead and like this podcast so that you can hear more episodes. Thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.